0: Consploitation podcast network. Send your oh, people just shut the area down. It's that simple. I just shut the area down. Yeah. And I got everybody from the Shriners Convention to the goddamn Boy Scouts traipsing through here. I got lost kids, lost dogs, not now, later. I got international diplomats. I got a fucking reindeer flying in here from the fucking petting zoo. But John McLean, he's got a little problem. Hell, let's shut down the whole fucking airport! Now what do you think they're gonna say upstairs? And whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles, and warm woolen mittens, brown. Welcome back to Blood and Black Rum Podcast Festival Series, where we're covering your favorite Christmas films all December long. (laughs) You can expect to hear episodes on the Santa Santa Claus, Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 3, and more. So tune in for all of your favorites. These are a few of my favorite things. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum podcast. I'm Ryan from Cultivation.com and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? And we're back uh, right before the holiday that's coming, Christmas, right around the corner. And uh, unfortunately we did miss an episode last week due to some inclement weather and bad stuff happening around our area. It was pretty shitty that week. Uh, pretty much snow all the time. Uh, uh, normally, when we podcast it's on Wednesdays, we did get a big snowstorm on uh, Tuesday into Wednesday, and it wasn't wasn't great conditions. So we decided to hold off on the on the episode and push back a week. So here we are. And Len, we announced that we we're gonna do Die Hard Two, so that's what we're doing. We're not going to skip out on that, even though we missed a week of uh, we the festival series.
1: we to continue the tradition for the last year.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes <laughs> sense, too, because uh, last year we did Die Hard, and Die Hard 2 really goes right along with Die Hard. Can't skip a year and then come back, and because at least now it's kind of fresh in our memories, too, of watching Die Hard, and then comparing it to Die Hard 2. Die which, Harder. Yeah, which is, is not... there's not a lot of differences between the two of them, besides... A setting difference and uh the filmmakers kind of learning what worked and what didn't with the first Die Hard and then trying to double down on that and uh we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into the the film in detail but I will start off by saying that I've never seen Die Hard 2 so I've I've seen Die Hard 1 quite a few times but Die Hard 2 was one that I just I don't know why but for whatever reason it was one of those movies that I just never really ventured out to see um Maybe, possibly because, I don't know, is this played as much on TV? Yeah. It is? Die more, Hard 2 is? More than Die Hard. I don't know. Die, I hard,
1: just... Die hard 2 and, and Die Hard 3. Die Hard with a Vengeance.
0: Played a lot more than Probably Die hard. easier to get to rights to them, for one thing. Um,
1: I'm pretty sure
0: ACM and TBS used to play them all the time.
1: Yeah, I don't know why this one... Especially during, like, Christmas time. You would, like, get Die Hard 2 and Die Hard 3. Not a Christmas movie, Die Hard 3 you could die hard 2 and die hard (laughs) 3 well they
0: just wanted it to go back to back well you know
1: it's kind of like how these you know tv does it and movies are guilty of it too because i saw at walmart the other day they had a three-pack dvd for like ten dollars you got mad max 2 the road warrior mad max 3 beyond thunderdome and then mad max 4 fury road
0: well that's that's based on a rights issue it's when they can't pair i know
1: but it's stupid so just do two and three I mean, yeah. Fury wrote so good, you buy the good copy of it. You don't buy the bundled copy.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, mean, Grand.
1: Two, I mean, all the Mad Max films deserve to you know, be bought on good, like Criterion level collection DVD and Blu-ray. But I'm just saying, I, that just annoys me because it's like, come on, just put put the put the first one in there.
0: Right. Yeah, I think that it's it's due to a rights issue, especially for like Die Hard and Die Hard Two and Three. It's probably Die Hard Two and Three are. Just owned by the same people, so they were able to easily get the rights for it. And I don't know why I had skipped out on Die Hard Two. Um, I've seen Die Hard and Die Hard Three, but Two just kind of a outlier there. Well,
1: Die Hard Four, Live for Your Die Hard, was played a billion times on FX's uh, DVD mo- You know, yeah, thing- you know how they did like the whole.
0: Movie, yeah, yeah. yeah, movies on DVD. Yeah, sort and they of had like, like you know the
1: hosts and like like oh here's some extra things you can get on like the DVD. Like yeah. there's
0: a ton of things that you really needed to know about yeah. Die Hard Four. Like how they always
1: played like the X Men, like X Men Two and X Men Three on episodes, yeah. like that on that program. Same thing with
0: Die Hard Four. They
1: played. All the fucking time on
0: Never that. seen that one either. Well, you're lucky. I mean, at that point, it wasn't an issue of like just missing out on it. It you was like, a, I'm you, actively avoiding this you one. You get a Kevin
1: Smith cameo. Yeah. Well, I was actively avoiding it, too, because by, by the time that one came out, I'm like, no. You missed the boat. You missed the boat. It's been too damn long. Don't bother. So,
0: if it were up to me, and I know Die Hard 3 and the rest of them are not set around Christmas time, I would have just kept it around Christmas time. Because as we see in Die Hard 2, apparently this just happens to Bruce Willis every single Christmas. Well, they
1: say well, they say that, too, in Die Hard 1. Right. They're like, oh, why can't we have a normal Christmas? Why does this always happen to us? Because I remember when we were watching, I was like, so what, hap- what happened in the previous Christmases? Yeah. And so, like, next year, like, oh, okay, this time it's terrorists at an airport. They're like, why does this happen to us? It's like, again, ex- I want to hear you exposit on... What the fuck has happened in the previous Christmas? I would that you've been say married, that John's
0: like... exaggerating, and the last Christmas was just like, the the tree fell over on Grandpa. And he's like, exaggerating, he's like, that was the issue last year. Why not can't like, we have a normal
1: Christmas? Not only that, this is the, his own damn fault. He doesn't have to go trolloping around through Nakatomi Plaza and, uh, you know, the D.C. airport trying to stop terrorists. You're an off-duty cop. Leave it to the, them. Well, sure, they're bumbling idiots in this, but... You're like, hey! i uh, pfft.
0: Your job, you know. I would say that. um Well, I want to talk about this a little bit more as we get into the film, but I believe that John mcclain in this film is more bad than good. Like he he is actually hurting the scenario more than he's helping, and we'll talk about that. He's unlikable. Well at, least, yeah, well, at least I
1: think. I, well, I mean, we'll talk about that when we get in. I don't want I know. to get it, well, like I know, so far just, into. I'm, the... Well, I'm just saying my opinion right now. I think he's unlikable. Yeah, I, I mean, don't in not... this
0: film or in in. All of He's them.
1: kind of unlikable in Die Hard One. I mean, not, I, I mean, I mean, not so much to where you're not rooting for him, but yeah. I mean, he, like he he is you know a little unlikable. I think that's, I think I, like with the first one, Hans Gruber, like I, I'm more empathetic to Han, poor Hans Gruber, the eco terrorist, because like at least you know he's like okay, you know, I'm doing my thing, but in and, and also Bruce Willis. I mean, I think with him as an actor overall, not just in this franchise, but him and his. Entire body of work. You either like his charisma or you don't. And I'm one that tends to. F- I don't find him to be someone that I enjoy as an actor.
0: Yeah, I mean, and I think too that in the. At least in the first one, you have the. um. You don't really know his character, so you're getting to know him. And even though. Like, I mean, he seems like a smarmy asshole in that one too. But at the same time, he is in a building full of terrorists, and he's trying to stop, you know, terrorists from, from killing his wife. So. Uh, That makes a little bit more sense. Like, you kind of have some leeway there. But now in Die Hard 2, when he comes in, and it's really not his jurisdiction, he really doesn't have any... Well, it wasn't (laughs) even his jurisdiction in LA, because he was
1: in LA, but he's a cop from New York. Yeah, that's true.
0: He doesn't have any there. But I think even more so in here, he's just like a random citizen in a Washington, D.C. airport at Dulles. And and I think more so now, you kind of see, like, he's just inserting himself in these situations. He's not even like it's not even organic at this point it's not like it actually happened to No him. no it's very forcing forcing the issue yeah. like yeah. like oh he's super cop so you know like he knows those guys carrying those packages must be up to trouble it was it would be really funny if at the beginning of this film before like all of the whole plot even started John McClane was on high alert following people and it just happened to be like a mail carrier carrying a package to the back of this. And they're like, sir, you need to leave this area. This is, this, this is a, a confidential area. You can't be back here. It's like, oh, sorry, sorry. So I saw a package. I thought it was a terrorist.
1: You know what I love about movies like this, too? Is the, the fact that I know this applies to some people, but not a lot of people were like, my wife lives in Los Angeles. I live in New York. Her family lives in Washington D.C. Like, how the fuck did your family migrate like that? I know it I mean, I know it happens, but it's not like that common. Most people kind of, you know, stick pretty close. Like, well, maybe you... maybe one goes off, and you don't have like, well, my parents live in Nebraska. Yours live in D.C. Our kids are staying back down in you know Texas for whatever reason because
0: they got a boarding school. Well, I think this was a, a nice. um... I, I would say that this was a storytelling choice. In that we did L.A. There's no snow in L.A. for Christmas, so they're doing D.C. So they do D.C. and have and, her, it's...
1: and have his in laws be living in D.C.
0: And also makes sense. Dulles Airport's pretty busy. At I don't know. Well, I, I, I guess why not do
1: like LaGuardia? Yeah, that they could have. You know, yeah, yeah. O'Hare. Oh yeah, make it. Be, yeah, like well, Home Alone's gonna you know do that in like a year. Or two, yeah. So
0: yeah, they don't
1: don't bother after that movie. Don't bother.
0: But I see the uh I see the appeal of doing DC because uh as we'll talk about, Die Hard Two is like Die Hard, but add more Christmas to it. And Fox. So it's kind of interesting too how people argue is Die Hard a Christmas movie? Because Die Hard Two is probably more of a Christmas it's movie. It's definitely a Christmas movie. It, I would say that th- if you if you're really not sure about Die Hard then Die Hard 2, Die Harder, is definitely a Christmas song. I think,
1: you know, I think what would have been appropriate for this, not just because I love the song, it's my favorite Christmas song of all time, but I think when, like, they have, like, the plane flybys going on, they should just have the heartbreakers Christmas all over. I I know you were going to say that. Well, no, just, like, and have it at the end, just because, like, because they're like, oh, here we go again, another McLean Christmas, God, the shit.
0: Yep. You know, just be like,
1: there you go, you know.
0: Well, Home Alone 2 did that. I know. They followed your, uh. They followed your guidelines. Well, I, think, I, I
1: think the song came out in 92, that's why.
0: But it also made sense for the movie. Well,
1: no, I'm saying. Because
0: they are literally saying it's Christmas well, over again, they're well, doing the same.
1: whole the, the, the song that would fit personify this the most would be Curb Your Enthusiasm theme, just like, bum boom, you are know, like, oh, here we go again. But, you know, I gotta wait 15 years for that.
0: Do you think that the 90s was like the epitome of taking the first film and then just basically redoing it again? Mm-hmm. It's like because Hit the it, same beats. we're talking about Home Alone as well It's Die Hard. And just like Die Hard 2, the same. Home Alone 2 is the exact same premise except just change up the setting. Well, that's just why I told up- you to
1: watch the Super Deluxe video. They, literally like break, they break down like every Home Alone. Like it's like a three minute video. It's like Home Alone 1, you know, kid gets left at home, has the time of his life, bad guy show. Like it's like this, literally this. You know, same beats yeah. for each film. And it's not you're right, it's not just Home Alone, it's the same with Die Hard. It's just, it's just, what is it, Die Hard 2? It's the same fucking movie except, like, let's ratchet it up a little bit. Yeah. What Speed to? We're gonna put it on a fucking boat this time, not a bus. Yeah. You know, and
0: it, it was the epitome of just, like, recycling the ideas. And, Escape and,
1: from L.A., yeah. do the same
0: thing, except parody. And, and a lot of horror movies did the same thing, too. It was like, take the sequel, put it in a different place. We'll do the same thing, though. This movie made more money, though, than Die Hard 1, so... And I could see why. First of all, you have the word of mouth of Die Hard. So people are like, Die Hard was pretty cool. You know, it was, it was a fun movie. So then you have other people that are like itching to see Die Hard too, And then, again, you have what you called ratcheting up the ideas. You know, there's more Christmas. There's more action. There's, par- there's a little bit more violence. Um, and so that makes sense. That makes like why it would do a little bit better is, uh, you know, just more of the same. People liked it. I think Die yeah.
1: Hard one was supposed to, it was kind of like the little engine that could. Yeah. It's not like a lot of action movies back in the 80s especially were being ma- made on like big budgets or yeah, you know, it, mainly low budgets and like all right, let's like horror film. That's what most action films especially back you know in earlier like the 80s and even in the 90s a lot of action films were made on shit budgets like a horror film cuz like hey, look, there you know, people're just going to want to come and watch and
0: you know yeah. shit blow up. And clearly, Die Hard 2 is made with a much bigger budget. Yeah. I mean, just getting this this uh, setting itself is budgeting in its, in its own right because, I mean, t- you're using, like, airplanes and real-life settings in order to film this movie. So, that right there is going to blow some of your budget. So, it's interesting. Yeah, it does ratchet it up. And then also, um, you get a m- much bigger cast – it's huge, like of and not. I, I mean, at the time, maybe not as huge as it seems now, but there were still some really big names like Bill Sadler wouldn't be, would still have been a a fairly big name he, at that time. He was pretty much blossoming. Um,
1: Same thing with Robert Patrick. Right.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, he was really breaking into his own. I know, but too. I mean, but
1: like you can uh, tell, like, and you'll be forever tight. Same uh, thing uh, with like Dennis Franz.
0: Yeah. Really like coming his,
1: into his own there. It's like, you, you will for now be forever typecast, because he, before, I mean, after this, he plays in NYPD, you know, stars in NYPD Blue, but before, even before this, he was also in a um, couple of cop shows in the 80s, too, yeah. so. um
0: And then you have Reginald Val Johnson, who gets fourth billing, and he does, is, and he's in one seat. Oh, you love it when he Thank loses. you, Family Matters. <laughs> uh But this, so this one has a, a bigger cast. Yeah, of, of names that like just seem to be like they pop out to you even even the coming to america crew yeah john amos yeah
1: is in this slim net na- looks he looks pretty slim in this compared to because he's kind of ch- uh portly portly in coming to america and he, he actually looks you know pretty good in this um also um draw a blank Sorry,
0: yeah the, this Ryan's pulling it up I'm, pull, uh, I'm pulling it up right now because he's <laughs> he actually he's got a weird name um Vonde Curtis Hall, also a, from com- that
1: I know from uh, Coming to America. He has a small bit role, but I remember it. He plays the in Coming to America. At least he plays the concession uh, person at the garden at the Knicks game that runs into Eddie Murphy's character
0: that you know, yeah, knows who he is and freaks out. It's great seeing that movie. So I mean, again, all of those things added up do make sense. Franco Nero. Oh yeah, Frank. We forgot to mention him because he's kind of buried in the credits, actually. Despite being no, get, the main, no, he, no,
1: he gets um it's right like at fifth. Yeah, but he's right after Reginald Bell Johnson.
0: Still, really, like William Atherton getting uh higher credits than Franco Nero.
1: Well, because he's the first one. Yeah, but still. But, but even still, no, you're right. Because right. like, why? Like again, why is he? Why that whole point, And we'll, we'll talk about when we actually review the movie. I think, but like, why is he here? Right. Why was he, him being on the plane with Mrs. McLean, Holly McLean, a thing? I don't know.
0: We'll talk. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Padding. <laughs> All right. Um, let's get into our beer talk first, and uh, because we got some, we got some uh, winter Christmassy beers on today. And it's not then, Old Festival. Yeah, and then we'll then we'll get into the movie itself. So, uh, what we're drinking today is the part of the Sierra Nevada Holiday Pack, which. I'm kind of surprised that they put out a Sierra Nevada holiday pack because I thought that the Celebration Ale was their holiday beer, and apparently it is not. I don't know how many brews Sierra Nevada has up their sleeve, but apparently they're they're kicking out six or seven different IPAs a season rather than one or two.
1: I think they got a. Uh... A new brewery down, like, the Carolinas or something.
0: Oh, yeah, they do. They have one in, in Chico, California, and, and then one in the, yeah, something like that.
1: Yeah, I think it's in the Carolinas. They got one now. So it might be the, might be why. Wa- yeah, I, I mean, I've seen them do, like, a holiday pack before, but i never really gotten it because it's like, it's all our IPAs! And I'm like, I don't want one during the winter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was just surprised to see that they had Celebration Ale out, which I guess maybe they're considering is more of a Thanksgiving beer. I don't know. No, and that,
1: no, because it's got a wintry, snowy log cabin on it. So
0: that's still part of Thanksgiving.
1: Yeah, that's that screams Christmas to me. And they've been doing that forever, too, because it's one of the first yeah. added beers I got. Um, but what I remember, the Celebration Ale being was not an IPA when it, I, I first tried it like seven years ago. I think it was something, t- I can't remember exactly what style of beer it was, but I know, I'm pretty sure it wasn't an IPA. And I think maybe recently they changed it. Or maybe I'm misremembering things. I don't know, but yeah, I, I always no remember idea. when I first tried it. It wasn't an IPA. It was like something uh, else, so, like just like a general like win- like winter like winter style. Like, yeah,
0: what I think you're thinking of now is what they have in their new pack, which is the Winter tide ale.
1: I mean, it wasn't a wheat. It wasn't like a wheat beer. It's more like a red or brown ale, like mix, like mixed. But yeah. I always I remember like it's kind of like like I remember Saranac's Big Moose, Ale, which we I think we talked about a couple episodes ago. I remember trying that a long time ago. When I first, you know, was old enough to drink it, it was one of the first winter beers I tried too, and it was like a really good pale ale. But now it's like uh, 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 IPA. It's it's an IPA now, and they kind of tweaked it to make it more like an IPA, and it's like kind of disheartening. I like the fact that it was a pale ale. Yeah. It's kind of a, you know, rare find these days.
0: Well, One of the good things about the winter pack is that they do kind of branch out a little bit. They're not doing just all pale ales or IPAs in this one. Obviously you still get your Sierra Nevada pale ale. That's like the staple beer. That's always going to be, they're not going to take it out of the packs. So just get used to it. Kind of like with Sam's rebel yeah.
1: or Boston lager.
0: Yeah. But, but the other thing that they do, they're trying a, a couple of different things here. Uh, one of them is a coffee stout, which uh, we had had previously at um, one of the beer fest that we'd gone to, but uh, I kind of forgot about it. Cause I think they only had it really quick. Um, but I think it's actually a pretty good beer. I like it. I think, you know, for a company that doesn't really do stouts that often, I think they did a pretty good there's, job. There's and
1: Stout it- and Porter is part of their standard uh, standard lineup. Yeah. Um, not much I would write home, though, about both of them just because I, I don't think that's their wheelhouse. Right. It's kind of like when Gang branches out from Belgian-style beers and does something kind of different. Like their IPA, the Nirvana IPA is okay, but I wouldn't, you know go out of my way to get it because it's not something that you know they really specialize in so yeah it's kind of like the same thing with Sierra nevada the stout and porter that i've had and i haven't had it in quite a while but from what i remember i was thinking like yeah they're, they're there never would really get them again but i do like the coffee stout quite a quite a bit it's pretty good
0: yeah it's it's uh <laughs> supposed to be a cold brew coffee stout so uh emphasis on the cold brew and you it, that does come out um i think that the the uh Dark ro- roasted coffee f- notes come out quite a bit in that, and I th- I thought it was a a good solid stout. Um, I think I probably had better coffee stouts, but I think that the coffee flavor itself lends a lot to that beer. I agree. Um, I wouldn't be able to tell you though that like it's specifically cold brew. It's not. Uh, I don't know. It kind of has that. Um, I don't think it's like as.
1: Prenu- I mean, I'm not the I mean, biggest connoisseur. Like, can, can tell you the difference between like. Coffee blends. I just I just drink it because I like coffee. But um,
0: I, I think mean, it has that steeped quality to it that you. you can I taste. get that
1: more though with like Saranex Cold Brew Coffee Lager. No, yeah, I agree. I, I like mean, I, I, said, I, don't, I I mean, to me, like this just tastes like it's just like a, a coffee stout. It's just like they took like you know added more
0: coffee notes and flavor to the stout. To... Yeah, like I said, I mean, I wouldn't say that this is probably the best coffee stout that I've had, but I think it's pretty good. Well, no, I'm not saying that. Like I said, I'm just
1: saying though. I from like, from, I, like I said, I'm not a, co- like, big coffee connoisseur, but, like, when I'm drinking the Saranac cold brew lager, I can tell, like, yeah, they're going for a cold brew coffee taste. Yeah. But with this, I i wouldn't be able to tell you that from the coffee stout, but, yeah, it tastes like a coffee stout. It's good, but, I mean, I wouldn't be, like, it's like, oh, it's, as it says in the bottle, it's cold brew.
0: I'm like, I couldn't, <laughs> like, I don't notice that. Not sure. Yeah. The other one that they have in there is the, uh, what they call a winter tide ale, uh, which is I love when they they describe things like this ale brewed with spices. Uh, so basically, Very specific. yeah, I mean, basically, it's a winter warmer style beer. Uh, it's at six percent, so it's not super heavy. It's not one of those winter warmers that's going to like really keep you literally warm. But it is one of the like it's in that style. So it's a uh, caramely malty, uh, particularly heavy on like some of the holiday spices: coriander, cinnamon, nutmeg, clove, things like that. Uh, I think it. I think it comes out okay, but I don't really. I wouldn't say that this is my favorite uh, winter warmer beer. I. I think that maybe. Um, I think I may might have actually a, a little bit too much of the spice flavor to it, and. So I think it's okay, but like I said, it's not something that Sierra Nevada would really do very often. So I think it, I mean it, it's it's a quality beer from that kind of standpoint, but uh, definitely had better winter warmer beers, except the ones that incorporate raisins. So don't, don't do that. And dry fruit. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. And then you have the uh, Holiday Haze IPA. I had. You had.
1: It has ceased to be. It is no more. It's dead soldier. What
0: do you think about that
1: one? Um, it's okay. Um, I think it's pretty good. Um, I do like that. It's more kind of citrus fruit forward in its taste.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Like,
1: especially like grapefruit, um, and like tangerine.
0: And it definitely has a, a different hop in it. I don't know if it's, um, I'm not sure exactly which hop it is, but you definitely on the taste, you get a little bit of a different, uh, hop flavor
1: but I, I i do think it's you know I do like the fact that it's a little bit more you know fruitier than piney you know it's definitely um as it says on the bottle fruit forward and it's and to me it's mainly like a tangerine uh grapefruit clementine yeah like fruitiness and then still got that you know traditional west coast i p a taste to it, but it's you know uh mild. Uh, By compared to like you know their normal IPA,
0: I gotta say I like this tradition of um, doing winter style IPAs.
1: Well, the perfect one's the white IPA.
0: I mean, but I think like the winter style ones are just a little bit heartier, Um, fruitier. Yeah, a little fruitier, especially on the orange side, because winter, though we don't really tend to think about it, is a have a big time for oranges because that they're when they're coming from the other side of the world. We're getting, you know, we're getting them in their peak season. So, clementines, blood oranges, all of those, yeah, pomegranates, all those citrus flavors, they're really in season in our winter. So, it makes sense to incorporate those into a beer to have a more citrusy flavor to it and, and call it a winter IPA, even though, you know, we would tend to think of citrusy stuff. During the summer,
1: I mean, no, I no, I yeah, agree because um like lemon and lime, I would like as yeah. a citrus, I you know yeah that count as like a summer citrus, but, yep. but like you're right, like an, I think orange is like kind of an all season. I yeah. mean, I do associate it more though with like a winter, but I think it does fit all season. The only actually, I think about would be like a good mi- like a mix like hybrid for an IPA. It'd be like an orange cranberry, like something like involving cranberry maybe. Yeah, because it's bitter. Yeah, it would fit, you know, like you know, with the profile, like a
0: yeah. I think cranberry would be good, doing some sort of, and then you know, grapefruit too is very big in the winter, so that would be an, a a
1: lot of people are doing you know grapefruit yeah. style IPAs now.
0: So I mean, it makes sense to have that, and I do like that they're maybe they're just a little bit heavier. They tend to have a, a slightly higher alcohol percentage than you know a normal IPA would, um, and like I said, I just went to World of Beer last night and I had the Trogues Blizzard of Hops. Winter IPA. I'm
1: still disappointed you get the pretzel.
0: I didn't. I wasn't hungry. I just so had you don't hit, you don't an hit. entire meal at uh, Ruby Tuesday. And you so. didn't shit yourself? That's
1: amazing. I did
0: not. Because uh, that's all that does. It's yeah. Make you shit. Make you poop. Any uh, any other beer talk that you gotten? No. I think that's it. I think other than that, I haven't really had much else. Miller Lite. <laughs> the beer of choice, yeah. Miller Lite.
1: All right, light on calories, but not light on flavor.
0: There you go. Sponsor us. That's what I. That's what I need. <laughs> I need something that's light on calories. It's winter. I think are, you,
1: are you gonna get a nice uh, Heineken Magnum bottle
0: for Christmas? I think they're pretty cool. I would like to get one and just see how it tastes. Well,
1: I'll I'll bring one.
0: You know, and and uh, maybe that'll make up for you because you don't really like when the Heineken keg has that tinny taste to it. So maybe uh, in the champagne bottle. Will be particularly excellent. Joke's on you. It's actually a tin bottle. <laughs> and you got to put it in a flute glass, too. Like a champagne flute <laughs> glass, or else the bubbles will evaporate. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, what's the point of putting it? In? It's so stupid. Well, putting what? Champagne in a flute glass?
1: No, Heineken in a champagne. Oh, wait, style a champagne. About, I don't know. Uh, it's it's just a marketing glassy. idea. Like, 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 oh, Merry Christmas. Oh, you don't like champagne? Have some Heineken instead. <laughs>
0: I don't know. Yeah, I just, would say that's probably the only reason. It's just like why people buy, uh, like the sparkling fruit dr- beverages that are it's not champagne, but it's like you know, sparkling, sparkling grape, grape juice. Uh, it's like why? Well, because so the kids can drink it. They'll feel they'll feel good on New Year's Eve thinking they're drinking champagne. I don't know. Pop them back, kids.
1: Uh, I don't think on New Year's worth cracking open a bottle of champagne.
0: I think we're having, apparently, my parents got a bottle of champagne for Christmas morning. We're having mimosas this year.
1: Oh, I guess I'll have to get up. Fancy in the barber household. Great, thanks. And now I'm going to have to get up early for that.
0: Yeah, come on over. Have a mimosa. I've only had one once. At my, uh...
1: After wedding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. After wedding brunch. I mean, I, I, because I'm not... You're sp- not a
0: champagne drinker, so... No, I
1: mean, no. Not, but I also wouldn't think to like let's combine it with orange juice. It's delicious. I rather I rather do a screwdriver.
0: It's the perfect brunch beverage.
1: Yeah, screwdriver. There you go.
0: Well, screwdrivers are good too. Just, I mean, I would Just say make, you know
1: what? Make me a Christmas Moscow Mule.
0: Sir, that's that's very easy. Cranberries. I, I can do it right now. Uh, well, that's why I told you, and you didn't do it. I'll make you one right now. Okay, we'll pause the podcast, and we're gonna have one. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. We've got our Moscow Mules. It's uh cranberry orange. I, I made them specifically for it. And we're talking Die Hard Two. Die Harder. I always leave that off because I don't even know if that's an official. No, it's not. Yeah, I don't think so. No, it's it's the, just kind oh, of a... on
1: the opening credits when the title card it just says Die Hard Two.
0: Yeah, Die Harder. Not an official subtitle.
1: I I think it is though, because especially after what they would do with the rest of the movies Die Hard 3 is not Die Hard 3, it's Die Hard with the Vengeance. Then it's Live Free or Die Hard, and then, you know, a yeah. good day to Die Hard.
0: They've, they've officially accepted it as canon that it's Die Hard 2, Die Harder. Which, I mean, I think is probably a good um, summarization of this film. It is just Die Harder. And let's start out By talking about the plot itself? Because I do think that the plot of Die Hard 2 is an interesting idea of an entire airport that's kind of taken under uh, by terrorists, and then they're controlling everything from the outskirts of that airport. It's, It's a smart idea. I think that coming up with that scenario is probably the most difficult part of writing Die Hard 2. Because it's complicated. Um, For the time, it would have been technically proficient, I would say. And as we see in the film, uh, not very many people understand technology at that point because John McClane's just getting around to faxing. He's got a beeper and they've got a fax machine.
1: They got to get all that in. They have airline phones and... Cell phones, I gotta yeah. get all
0: that in there because it's the, the 90s the, now. The film is very much uh, focused on just like 90s tech.
1: Not only that, I find it weird too because he's like, it's the 90s now, I gotta get with it. And it's like, that, when I think of Die Hard, it doesn't scream to me to be like an 80s film. Like, he's just a man trapped in, you know, the old ways. I don't really, you know. You yeah, know. you mean
0: John McClane, like yeah. as like a Character. a guy who's just like I'm not adapting. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I no. mean,
1: as, I mean, in this film, yeah, he definitely, you know. I mean, just comes think about it because like that, the man
0: but... is a cop, he probably has to do a lot of paperwork. Cops have to do paperwork, so not John McClane. The man has never like copied, scanned, or faxed in his life. Seems uh, seems like he's not really a cop, and he just keeps saying it to everybody. He, just, he, <laughs> he, found,
1: <laughs> he found a badge on a dead officer, and now he's just running around masquerading as a cop, like, I'm a cop, I'm a cop.
0: And then everybody accepted it as fact, because he did save people in Nakatomi Plaza. Like, oh. So they're like, oh, I guess this guy really is a cop. Everybody's like, I don't know him I'm on payroll. <laughs> I don't know who this guy is. <laughs> no, but I, I think that, um, for the most part, the, the idea of the story does have a lot of legs to it. It's interesting. Um a little over convoluted. It is com- yeah, it is convoluted in the way and and when you when you do stop to think about uh like how this all was set up where you have a separate military operation that's also in on it that gets called in. You've got this operation taking place where they were able to hijack all of the equipment needed to shut down the airport itself but reroute that technology to a uh like a church that's sitting on the side of the airport all of that when you stop and think about it is really far fetched like how would that ever really happen however i think it's it's still a smart idea especially for 1990 i mean it and like you said it is convoluted for the layman person the, and and I love that at the beginning of the film and everybody's throwing around things like and oh they've shut down the insect equipment and they shut down the cast and just like uh, we don't know what the fuck you're sa- saying and it's probably not real, but I'll I'll take your word for it and I think that's kind of what you have to do with Die Hard too is you have to really techno
1: babble like just yeah you really, just you
0: yeah. have to really kind of go with it and be like okay the terrorists are really good at routing cable I will say too,
1: <laughs> man it. <sighs> When I hear, like, in this film and, like, Die Hard 1, like, terrorist, like, like, I don't even remember the like, ever hearing that word until 2001.
0: Well, apparently it was used previously. I mean... I know, I know, it obviously was. Obviously, I, and, and I mean, in 1990, you would have been one years old, so.
1: No, but I know, I'm saying, like, even, like, just remember, like, and, like, something I never even, like, remember, like, hearing until after 9-11. Now it's, like, it's just in the fucking, you know, terrorist, terror, you know, terrors everywhere.
0: I blame these films. <laughs> yeah, putting uh, bad thoughts in the bad and, bad guys' heads. Uh, yeah, maybe we should hijack,
1: you know, an airport and leave twenty planes to be, you know, just dith-
0: dithering about in the sky. You know, that's the other thing I do like about the film, though, is that just for like hours and hours, there are planes just flying around Washington D.C. Just for, just sitting in the air and people on them just being looking at their watch, going like, "I should have been there now." And they're just like, "What's going on?" Well, they're probably like, Man, "At least I don't have to deal with the
1: shit." You know, the shithole that that airport will be. You know, crammed. Yeah, and, does. yeah. And like, lost luggage. I'd rather and- sit
0: up here and watch the Simpsons. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I but I, it, I like that idea too of having all of these aircraft just sitting up in the air because it does add some tension to it. Because that's what we're looking for with John McClane. Because otherwise, without some tension to give John McClane a reason to even be caring about this situation unfolding, then you don't really have a story. You wouldn't and, have any stakes. I mean, in this case, uh, I think it's a stretch, for one thing, to just have now John McClane's wife is on a plane that's idling in the air. However, I mean, it does give it some tension because now we have a time frame. Like, those planes can't sit up there forever. They've They've got... Gas, that's burning, and and they've got to get them down. So that makes sense. However, there is one scene that you see uh, where the the uh, bad guys, the terrorists, Bill Sadler's crew, have uh, a timer in their in the church that they're sitting in, and it's like at one time it's like forty five hours, and then like when they check back in, it's like ninety one hours. It's like what, like forty six hours have passed? I don't know. Like
1: You'd think like somebody like if they got a hold of the army to come in. Which, you know, obviously it was John Amos's crew, but, like, you, they wouldn't think, like, hey, maybe we should get planes up there that carry fuel to, like, maybe refuel some
0: of these. Yeah, you know? yeah, that, that's a, that's another, uh, I think that's something that really stretches the imagination, because we see, like, these helicopters bringing all the military crew in, John Amos's crew, and it's like, well, the helicopters couldn't have, like, sat up there and, like, tried to guide them in, or something. If this was truly an emergency, and you're like, we gotta get these planes down, they don't have any gas. Rather than relying on like poor communications, maybe get a helicopter up there. And it's like, we're going to try to guide you down. You got 800 feet to sea level. You're, you're, you know, your your uh, stuff's not working. Your altitude meters aren't working. The whole thing seems kind of fishy in that sense, because like helicopters can easily land, but planes are a wall up there. I don't know. I think it's
1: a little more complicated.
0: Well, yeah. No, I mean, like, I know, but I understand, I agree, I understand yeah. your logic behind.
1: it, But I think you know, trying to land a plane,
0: yeah. Well, yeah, because the helicopter's not really got a, a heavy descent; mm-hmm. it's kind of just like touching down. Uh, and, and so, yeah, you're right in that sense. A helicopter can easily fly through the snow and land well, whereas the the plane has to obviously come down at an angle and take off at speed at at a and worry about, bu-
1: you know spontaneously combusting (laughs) on impact you know yeah
0: yeah so that I mean I do understand that but I still think that they didn't really take any um like precautions that they could have in order to successfully land a plane without having to just rely on like well hope you can (laughs) hope you can see the runway (laughs) give it a go but I, I, I think like the idea of the whole film is interesting and entertaining and i always think that like if this wasn't part of die hard and it was just kind of a different film not part of the series it may have even been more effective rather than having john McClane in this again just a random guy or maybe part of a task force or something like that it might have been more effective because i think john mcclain actually weighs this film down a little bit trying to shoehorn bruce willis in here As the comical, uh, like cop who really doesn't have much jurisdiction in this area, and shouldn't probably be allowed in any of these places because, what if he was part of the terrorist crew, like saying like, "Well, I'm gonna do something about this," and causing more havoc.
1: Obviously, you know we're dealing with you know the DC cops who are incompetent, so they wouldn't you know think of you know any of that because he's got to like remind them like. closing the area off what are you doing you you know you're not following protocol hey eh? you know there was a crime here shut the area hey eh? you know why is the alec remark hey eh? you know
0: <laughs> yeah i do think i like i think bruce willis actually weighs this film down not only because of his presence but also because of the writing he's an asshole because i don't I, yeah like i think in at least in Die Hard, when john McClane comes in and he's kind of an asshole like, it's okay, because there's no real other, like, force there that's helping him out. So he's, like, kind of the one-man show in Nakatomi Plaza. Whereas in this case, he's, like, butting heads with every single authority authority figure, figure in, in there. And it's like, buddy, you don't even work here. <laughs> I, I know <laughs> What the a,
1: fuck are you doing? <laughs> I know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, yeah, his wife's on the plane, but, like, you know, because he, he's got to be a ass to everyone. Like, he's trying to tell when he first gets his you know, super cop hunch, like, these guys carrying packages, you know.
0: They probably are
1: terrorist guys. Are terrorists? I'm going to tell these two cops sitting down, like, hey, you need to check them out. Oh, wait, it's the guy that, you know, had my card toast, so instead, of, you know, trying to tell him, I'm going to be a smartass. And it was Elvis. I saw Elvis.
0: Right. Like, again, that sort of, he's like running interference on himself. Because now he's got to be the guy that saves everybody. And he's not relying, like, I would, say, I, I guess Dennis Franz, his character is made to look like a buffoon, but he's really not. He's actually, I, I don't think he's doing a bad job, and he's being misled at every turn because obviously John Amos's character is in on the plot, so he's trying to mislead him. So I think the film makes Dennis Franz's character look worse than he really is, and then you have John McClane just being a, a complete asshole to him at all times, like, you're not doing this right. This is not how I would do it if <laughs> yeah. I was running this.
1: Um, I know, the, uh, surprisingly, well, how come you're not captain yet, John? Mr. Supercop? Why? I'm a captain. What the fuck are you? Oh, you're still a detective?
0: Sit your ass down, you know? And one of my favorite parts, too, is that John McClane it, it just flashes a badge and everybody's like, oh, okay. You know, it's like, at that point in time, you're a cop? Okay. you Run wherever you want to. Do whatever you want. It's fine. Yeah. Steal this bag. I don't care. Take my car. Take this snowmobile hey, that you just found.
1: Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So yours for the taking. Yeah,
0: but like, but I think in this film, John McClane does more bad than good because if you think about the situation, really, all they want to do, the terrorists are really just looking to get Franco Nero's character, which I forget his name, but I th- General Esperanto. Yeah, General Esperanto. They want to get him from his plane into another plane and then get him to a country where they can't extradite him. That's all they want. That's that's the whole scenario. They, because
1: they hate commies. Yeah. So they're you know paired up this American military force that's gone rogue is paired up with you know former dictator and cocaine you know overlord because they hate commies. That's how you know it's like the late eighties, early nineties. Yeah.
0: What do we hate? Commies. And then you have the the audience conflicted, like, "Why well, do too? I hate commies. <laughs> do I root for these guys I don't. or not?" <laughs> Uh but I think like John McClain, now that he now he steps in, right? And you have this this scenario that's pretty much you know, if they don't do anything, things will be okay. Just let the plane land, just let Esperanzo get on the other plane. Don't risk what is it, probably like fifteen hundred lives in the mix because you got planes in the air that are gonna run out of fuel. You got people in the airports, um, Instead of just letting this all happen, like, alright, shoot, we missed out on, like, getting a dictator. He got to a country where we can't extradite him. Now, they're putting, like, many, many people's lives at risk in order to stop this one thing from happening. And it doesn't really make sense to me, because even, like, because if they have let this play out, it would significantly uh, be less time wasted. Than them actually trying to do things, because that's a big part of this film is the time wasted because the planes are in the air and they're burning gas. And so if you're like, don't waste time, just let them do what you they got to do and land the planes. That would be probably like my first thought, but nope, John McClane got to save everybody. And I think that's I think he's actually a detriment. Yeah, he gets poor poor transporter room
1: miles o'brien killed And, and, (laughs) and his plane
0: yeah yeah that he he does he he's basically the reason why one plane crashes because he interferes and now they have to pay a consequence and i love it he's upset with that for like five minutes of crying rolling around on the ground so upset that he lost the plane and then He's back at it, and it's like he forgot all about it. And then actually, the film entirely forgets about that plane crash <laughs> No one that cares. happened. No one cares. It's like, oh man, you know, for a little while they, they do.
1: Yeah, well, because the Br- it's the British, so who cares? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I care because they got poor Miles O'Brien killed. But you know,
0: yeah. But other than that, like <laughs> after that plane crash occurs, you don't hear about it. You don't see the wreckage really. Just collateral. Damage. Yeah, just like whatever. I mean, it happened. Sorry, but. You know, and then ever and
1: you know what I love too is like every, anytime like these tw- like certain little twists happen, you have to have Bruce Willis like expose it like like I should I knew all along that was going to happen. This was a trap. And they were going to they were going to do this. And it's like, "Well, Bruce, you know, you you expedited it. You sped it up." Yeah. Congratulations. Right.
0: Yeah, if you knew it was a trap, maybe just don't do anything. I know. And like, just let If you know it that trip.
1: SWAT team's walking into a trap, like, hey, don't go up there, and they're like, "Ah, fuck you!" And they're like, "All right, fine, you know." I tried. Yeah. You're only gonna make things worse,
0: especially because you're going guns a blazing. Just you know. Yeah, because and everything else, like the the uh, chief uh, plane, you know, airport guide or whatever. I don't know what they're called. but traffic controller.
1: Mm-hmm. He's just Played like by
0: Fred Thompson. Yeah, he's just like letting it go. You know what I mean? He's he's playing ball. He's just l- doing what they're asking. Because he doesn't want anyone killed. So
1: he knows, like, look, until we got something that we can actually do.
0: Yeah. You know. And then John McClane is, like, this rogue vigilante agent who's coming in and, like, making things worse all the time. Well, that's what America loves. I guess. As, as, well, as we, when we review Death Wish, is that we all know
1: that Bronson make things really better in Death Wish. No. no, but we love someone who's like, I, you know, the hell with the rules, you yeah. know? That's what, you yeah, know? I mean, that's, that's. All you have to do is look on Facebook when people are like, oh, that person got off. Fuck him! Kill him! You know?
0: I think that's the difference, too, with, with Die Hard and Die Hard 2, is that at least in Die Hard, it makes sense for him to be doing these things. He's actually doing something. In Die Hard 2, he's like literally making things worse. <laughs> Every step he takes, you just need to whoop, whoop, whoop. You know? Like yeah, him. right? Yeah. and And I think, um,. What's funny too is that like a solution that could have should have been pretty easy for them to figure out is that they just put a crew on the plane. They put a crew on the plane. Set an ambush. Put yeah. an ambush in there and then just assassinate everybody that comes on. It's that simple. And yet they don't. It they, that's that should have been the the like if they really had to stop Eps- Esperanza from getting to country where they can't extradite him and let's face it i would think many people's lives are more important than i think the u.s is taking their their war
1: on cocaine a little too far if they're you know like yeah a dictator like well oh, we're gonna bring him in you know and try him why
0: yeah and the funny thing too is that at the end of the film they don't have that opportunity because john McClane blows him up so the whole thing was for naught they could have just shot him out of the air in the airplane and be done with the whole thing but, so again, John McClane fucks things up again because they can't even try him for whatever, you know, they've got him on. They can't try this guy. He's dead. He's, he's a burning wreck of skeleton and metal. Um, so I think that, I, I think Die Hard 2 really messes that up because John McClane is not really a likable figure in this. He's more of like, you got to tolerate him. And even the writing for...
1: He's like your drunk uncle. Just, yeah. Yeah, just. yeah,
0: the writing is not as good in this one. Like like you said, there's a lot of exposition here where he's just like talking to himself. And at that point, you have to wonder like, is this man just fucking crazy? Is like he just crazy? Well, because in the original, it's him talking to Reginald Bell
1: Johnson. You know, like, you know, like when are like, what's going on there, cowboy? Like, man, a lot of bad things are happening. You know, they ain't listening to me. Like, well, I'm listening to you. But they only got Reginald for that one scene, so they, now yeah. he's just got to prattle on to himself instead of, Yeah, you know. he's just
0: talking to himself. But, I mean, at the same time,
1: like, that's something I didn't like in the first film either, and it's not to the detriment of Reginald Vell Johnson. I just didn't like the fact that, like, when they were interacting and talking, it's, you know, very, like, stereotyped, like, typical, like, noir, like, noir bullshit, like, you know, dialogue. Like, what's going on there? Well, a lot of bad things are happening, man. Trying to do things. that Like, sounds like a bad, like, post-game conference when you're talking like a quarterback after like what the hell happened out there you threw three interceptions got sacked what happened out there in that loss like well you know we tried to do things and try to do make things better and while we tried to do those things and getting better we couldn't do the things that we wanted to do so we couldn't do better and we can't win and that's why we gotta go out there next time and do think you know it's like you're talking in circles you're saying nothing you're you're using all these words and all this dialogue wasting all this time to say nothing it's a rigmarole it's a runaround you're yeah. You're wasting my time. This movie is 30 minutes
0: too long. Yeah, exactly. This movie is because, too... because of that. It's yeah, like, it's two hours long and it's really unnecessary. It's
1: this movie feels like a slog.
0: Yeah. Uh, I agree. Absolute slog. I mean, I mean, we talked about it in the intro a little bit, but part of it is because of just all the unnecessary things that it adds into the film. Uh, one of them being John McClane and the janitor. Like wh- why is John McClane? So direction, uh, he he can't, he can't figure out directions. Well, cuz
1: it's 1990. We don't he doesn't have a GPS on his iPhone to tell him like where he is in the building to Yeah, but I mean like
0: building and then he just needs to find a radio tower. Radio tower. How hard would it be? Yeah, no you're Look right. Look out not... on the Do you see it out on the field? I mean, I guess I guess airports are kind of are bigger, so maybe maybe it's on the opposite end of the the airport, but it's just kind of funny. But the film wastes so much time on this John McClane janitor relationship. It's un- totally unnecessary. And then the other thing, which you mentioned in the intro, is the whole plane ride with John's wife, Holly, and Thornburg, the reporter from the first film. Fucking total waste. Yeah. Like, like, un- like 20 minutes of film wasted. It's absolutely, it doesn't even really make a difference. It doesn't
1: make it, sense. It's literally there, I think, just to pad out Holly McLean's time in this film.
0: I think I I agree because other than that, like, what is she actually going to do? She's just riding in a plane. If you didn't, I, I, but again, though, I think that it would have been more effective if they just cut out Thornburg altogether and just had multiple scenes of Holly, like starting to panic, you know, like she's on the plane now and it's been two hours of circling. But she's
1: not even panicking. She's just, you know, like, oh, John's probably down there, you know. Yeah. That's.
0: Yeah, I wonder if Mur- she's... Murdering people. <laughs> ...thinking, like, well, there's probably terrorists, and John is probably there.
1: There's another character in here, too, that's totally useless, and that's the one news anchor.
0: Um. Oh, yeah, Sam uh, Cole, Sam Coleman.
1: Like, why is she fucking in this movie? Her the, pl- her point is meaningless. The
0: only reason she's in it is to be a a, a shuttle for John McClane at the end of the film.
1: Like, she's and like, oh, if you give me this story, I'll have your baby. What a terrible lady. That's like, like instant boner killer for me at least right there. Like, I'll have your be- baby. Like, no, thank you. Ruined it. Yeah. No, no I- thank you. You get no story. I award you no points and may God have mercy on your
0: soul. I think John McClane would be more open to doing the lady at the counter that helped him send out the facts. Well, she was, you know. Giving she, it- she was giving him the eye for sure. Oh, yeah. He was like, he like whispers. He's like, thank you. And she's like. You're welcome. I was like, oh as yeah, she's like him, you. Uh,
1: she, as she's showing him, she's showing him how to fax the fingerprints to Reginald Bell Johnson. Like, oh yeah, yeah, you get you get that in there. Oh, it doesn't matter which way it goes. Yeah, <laughs> just, just
0: put it in there. Just
1: put it in there.
0: Yeah, this, I, but you're like all of those things you wouldn't think like really add up to anything. But the film then becomes way over. Overloaded with just stuff that doesn't really make a difference to the plot. All of those airplane moments, and even like uh, Thornburg sending out like the report about the plane itself, it does nothing for the the plot because even though it adds no stakes, it and yeah. it's nothing, it's literally nothing. Even, so again, it's a waste of time. Like we don't need
1: Thornburg. You don't need to have the people on the ground at the airport know that hey, terrorists are attacking. It has no bearing on the plot because doesn't impede McLean. And the cops, you know, tracking down the terrorist, It's just like, oh, it's there. Again, pad out the film. Like, they felt like this has to be a two-hour film.
0: Yeah. But it easily
1: could have been 90
0: minutes. Yeah, this and this is one of those films that excels at being a quick 90-minute, like, escape film, and that's it. Get in, get out, you're done. That's all you need. You didn't need all of this unnecessary character development for Holly, who is really not much of a character at all besides like she wasn't a even sassy really, she
1: wasn't even really a character in the first film she was just there
0: right she's she the, was, she, she's the uh it's what they called the 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 um woman in the refrigerator the one who the hero always has to save that's it you know trapped in a trapped in some area and that the hero has to save it one thing I do think is kind of successful in Die Hard Two, though the shooting, stormtrooper shooting. No, <laughs> no, not that. The um, how they they get John McClane out of a closed enclosed area, because most of Die Hard takes place literally all, all, almost all of it takes place at Nakatomi Plaza. However, in Die Hard Two, they at least get out of the airport. They get out of the airport. They're in like the town next door to the airport, so they're outside. And I think that works because um, sometimes when you have a setting and you just are constantly within that setting, that drags the film's pacing down a little bit.
1: Well, I think if, it was, if this film was 90 minutes, then I think just being set in the airport would be fine. I don't think that you had to have him trolloping about to the church –
0: um, but you don't like the snowmobile chase scene?
1: No, because that's James Bondian at that point. Yeah, it's true. It's, it is. it's like
0: okay, we're not doing Die Hard. It's like a Die Another Day or something like. That. What's what's the one that does have a snow? There is one that has a snow. Pierce Brosnan movie that has a snowmobile chase in it. Um, I'm not sure which one. It world's is. not enough. Yeah, world. Yeah, the world's not enough. Yeah, he,
1: they end up him and um they end up parachuting down like the back right. of the hill yeah. into the raft
0: yeah yeah it is like a it's like a James Bond. It made, it made me sense. think of the,
1: the video game Nightfire when, like you, like the one level where you're snowmobile chasing and nightfire. Oh yeah, with, right with, with machine guns. Yes, high. but no, it's like bondy It's like it's like okay, like now we're just like all right.
0: And the snowmobile explosion is ridiculous. It's
1: funny. Well, it's just as funny. It's just as funny as the fucking airplane explosion. Ju- jump
0: over a tractor trailer and then explode. I love it. <laughs> Amazing went they went to the school of death wish effects you know
1: for this yeah
0: know. i love yeah i love the explosions the explosions are are uh, ridiculous yeah not not good <laughs> and especially and you got to wonder how much of this was like just like tongue in cheek they just knew it was not going to be you know good but uh, they were still doing it anyway. Like the grenade explosions in the cockpit. That was ridiculous, too, because they that's threw so like, like
1: seven grenades in there and like
0: it takes they take forever to go off. Like John McClane takes his time. He's like, oh, i got to put the seatbelt on.
1: Yeah, it's like, yeah. <laughs> that's that's, uh, that's the famous shot from this movie. Because like, in the first film, the famous shot is him jumping off a of Nakatomi Plaza when the upper level's blowing up. This one, it's him escaping the... With
0: the plane's pl- cockpit by injecting himself yeah. in the seat
1: and you know getting out at the very last second and you know which is also funny too because he's parachuting down like oh that lucky fucker they're not like taking pot shots and i'm like oh he's still alive because they they see he's still alive it's not like oh we got him and they you know trollop off and to defi- only to find out later like oh McLean's still alive no they know he's still alive but they're like oh, we're not gonna fire him we've already fired like three thousand rounds rounds you know from our <laughs> mp5ks but we're not gonna bother you know you know Taking pot shots at him in the sky when he's defenseless. No, you know.
0: Yeah, I love that scene. I mean, that's really where this. I guess where this film jumps the shark. jumps a shark, <laughs> because I guess they. I mean, it's hard to believe all of it, but that scene is really the most unbelievable of them all. I don't. I don't see how the grenades just have random Defuses? diffuses. <laughs> yeah, just like randomly. Like, well, you know, it's it, that one takes seven seconds. The other one takes four. I don't know. It just now that, that really stretches belief there, but I I I think though that Die Hard 2 tries to um double down on some of that stuff like action and violence. Uh there's an icicle to the eye in this one.
1: No, yeah, they definitely they definitely took like what worked in the first film, as you said, and like okay, the, like the violence and the gunplay got to have a lot more Fuck! They gotta say fuck a lot more in the like you know.
0: That's why they got Dennis Franz in this.
1: Say fuck every after every other word
0: because he's the he's the main uh, giddy guy that would say you oh, know wow fuck, racist fuck much. all the time racist on that one. right? No, I'm just saying that that's what they want him to be like. I know, like yeah. No, I I I understand. I was just it, busting. Yeah, balls no, it's. I mean, bucks. it seems like that's what they want from him is like.
1: Well, they gave they the gave him the most, like, Ital- like Italian-American, like, yeah. like, Carmine Lorenzo, you know. You go out there and you be like, hey, bibbidi boppity boo what the fuck you doing in my airport, huh? Yeah. I know better than you,
0: fuck, you know. I mean, I kind of feel bad for him, for uh, Dennis Rons in a way, because they really... I The film goes out of its way to make this guy look like a complete and utter buffoon.
1: But they do that, too, in, uh, die, like, again, with Die Hard and, you know, I can't... I can't for the life of me remember his name, but he's a famous actor. Very stereotypical for playing douchebag roles, Mm -hmm. because he's the the he's the main cop in Die Hard, right? And he's all you know from Breakfast Club, Principal, and you know, you know the Breakfast Club principal. Yeah, but I. I don't know the name. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I can't, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's, his name's escaping me, but that's I think that's what they're doing, too. Like, Dennis Franz is, like, hap, you know.
0: Yeah, I just, I just feel like It's like, because... like, just be like yeah,
1: okay, you know, you beat that stereotypical asshole cop because they got to have a counterpoint. So, like, at the end of the day, like, see, you should have listened to McLean. If you only listened to John McLean at the beginning of this film, none of this would have happened. Yeah. But it's stupid at the same time because it's like, well, why would you be, like, you know, be like, Oh, those guys are carrying presents and looking kind of, you know, a little yeah. There's
0: no reason why anybody would, any normal person would suspect in a gigantic terrorist un, under even, cover operation.
1: Even, even so, it's like the cover. Okay, so you have a hunch. Where's your evidence? Yeah, I can't do anything. Like you know, I can't expect sure. you know,
0: right? Yeah, that's the thing. Like that's why John McClane seems like such a ridiculous and almost crazy person. Because he's seeing, he's he's like seeing these paranoid um, scenarios play out when he has no proof of it. So when he actually goes into like stop these guys from with the, that are holding on to presents, he seems crazy. He seems nuts. Like, why would any normal, sane person think that? And that, just,
1: and then, and no, you're, you're right, too. Because like they do, they do nothing outside from the intro when we you know, see them like like one by one coming out of like, you know, the doors the of the
0: hotel room. Yeah. yeah.
1: But but he didn't see that. I know, that's what I'm saying. So it's like 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 oh it's like, oh he's got like X ray vision. He can tell you, oh they're they got bad things going yeah, on. Yeah,
0: I mean it you you call it I guess it they call it his cop hunch, but it seems more like he's just targeting <laughs> random people. Cole Phelps here. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah that I <laughs> and then and then you have like break the,
1: that notepad out I mean, hmm
0: you have the end of the film where John McClane goes is even crazier. Like he's laying on the runway, he just set a plane on fire.
1: Which, oh my god, you okay. So the way they shoot that scene too is stupid. They make it seem like the plane's like going so much faster than it actually is. You know, like like Franco, like when they shoot right. Franco Nero in the cockpit, you know, th- you know throttling he's the almost
0: pl- ready to take off. Yeah,
1: it's like look, like, you know, like like.
0: Yeah, hear, I don't like, I definitely don't believe that if a plane was going takeoff speeds that the fire would catch up to it.
1: No, not even close. Not like, even close. It would take a long time for that fire that McLean, you know.
0: I don't believe it. I want like to see uh, No, like that busters. you mean you mean
1: you mean to tell me like they didn't he didn't notice the fuel gauge plummeting after you know right. he ripped the door open and it's spouting fuel out of it. You mean to tell me he's like hey the fuel, you know well, we're not getting, you know, very far out of here because, you know, we're leaking fuel all over
0: the airfield. Yeah, I want to see a Mythbusters on that.
1: And the, the fire's not going to, like, when, like, the plane's taking off, I don't think the fire's going to light all the way and then even go up into the air following that gas trail and then, like, poof, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure. That's I, why find, I, I, I find poor Miles
1: getting burned alive and his plane crash a little bit more believable from, you know miss landing, because they didn't have the landing gear down, so when they crashed, I just had... Which, by the way, wouldn't that be more gruesome? Just having a plane crash and just, like, the plane buckle and, like, you know, like, oh, like, like, it would in real life, instead of having it just comically blow up. <laughs> yeah. Wouldn't you be like, oh, it's, like, shit, that's, you know...
0: Yeah, because metal rend- just, like, crashing ripping into Crashing
1: pa- into pavement and concrete, you know... Yeah. At, you know, high speed. Yeah, that's brutal enough. You don't need the plane to go...
0: Just, just,
1: just, as soon as it touched the ground, like... You know, like it's GTA... Like the early GTA games. Like, oh, you flipped the car over? Well, get out of there! It's good, you know, well,
0: actually, up. I think maybe they did that because they wanted it to appear less brutal. Because there's like 150 <laughs> people on that plane that it just blew up. So, at least if you blow up, you know, you're probably pretty much just well, dead. Yeah, yeah, you expl- know, they, they're just... Dumb. The
1: impact from the explosion, yeah.
0: But, but... You know, the, it's a little bit messier when you have them crash into the ground and like people are thrown around and, and impaled and shit Limp, like that. Yeah, limping out
1: of there, like you know, like SpongeBob. Oh my god! You know, like
0: my leg. Yeah, That's a little bit different.
1: You know, I think but that adds some character to this. Film. I
0: what I like a lot about this one too is when the Holly's plane lands and the pilots are just like, "Nice job!" It's <laughs> like pat on the back, like uh, "Job well done." It's like, "No, not a job well done. You guys almost." <laughs> Fell out of the sky.
1: <laughs> the only thing about this film too is it reminds me way too much of airplane.
0: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, with, no, with all, not like, a little bit. Like the, the whole
1: the whole plane part is like it totally like airplane. When like please assume the crash position. All you think is airplane. Like Aah! everyone's like you know, like <laughs> throw it about and like.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I, like I do think that the that part mm-hmm. of like the, the having the plane sequences is kind of comical. Um, maybe it's just a way to. Break up the suspense a little bit by having some comedy in there, but but my favorite one of my favorite parts is when they land and the the pilots are just like yeah it was good That was good yeah
1: because like as I told you after that they're going to the captain's lounge and they're gonna be fucking drinking their asses off and and then
0: I also like no
1: like that too as you said too like the fucking like they land the plane safely why because after Bruce Willis blows up the fucking plane that Franco Nero and John Amos and uh, uh, Bill Sadler's on, like, hey, look, there's the runway. Like, they're looking at the, the burning ashes of a plane crash and the trail of gas. Are like, yeah, we'll land there. Like, all right, like, you know, everyone's gonna land now. Like, awesome. Yeah, and, like, and Bruce is just there lying on the ground, cackling like a maniac. Like, <laughs> you know, I killed probably, you
0: know, fifty people. Yeah. No, but yeah, that, and that's that is funny too because like, who in their right mind would see like a the wreckage burning of a plane wreckage. and be like, that's a safe place to land. I know. <laughs> like, oh,
1: f- they did, oh they did a good job there. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. No, I don't. I don't think it'd be, most people would be seeing that and be like, well, you know, let's take. So, our so, and, and also
1: not only that, you, you mean to tell me they didn't see Miles' plane wreckage and think the crash land there because that burnt was a burning pyre
0: on a runway. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. Like, but that's. The, everybody forgot about that one. <laughs> it didn't hit after it happened. It didn't happen. It was just there for show, um, yeah. But then even after that, like you said, John McClane cackling at it's the end, at, like he's lost his mind. He's like, lost his completely, lost his mind. You guys, total, after...
1: total sociopath. At the end of this, you know what? You know what, The rest of the films in this movie, in the series, already didn't even actually happen. They just happened in his mind. He's locked up in a fucking yeah. you know, asylum somewhere. Like it's got like John McClane, that fucking nutter. Went off the deep end.
0: Once Holly's, plans, plane land, ooh. Once Holly's plane lands, John's just running around going, Holly! Holly! It's like a man comes up. He's like, uh, ma'am, is this your husband? He just has been running all over the airport yelling Holly all, all night long. I think that a lot of this could have taken place in John's mind. And Holly just had a r- regular old flight to Washington, D.C., and John f- found his way out onto the tarmac and they had to like, sus- you know, tie him up because he was just going nuts in the airport and he was saying, there's terrorists everywhere. That's how I like to see Die Hard too. Uh,
1: I swear to God, I think after watching the trailer for Death, the remake of Death Wish, it's going to be like Die Hard, just like crazy John McClane, roaming the streets, you know, bringing down the law.
0: Probably, yeah. I mean, it, it, in in a lot of ways, that Death Wish trailer looks just like Die Hard. It's just, it's like... It's, it's like an extension of Die Hard. Yeah, like, basically. It's what? just Bruce Willis doing John McClane, but doing Charles Bronson. But, I mean, yeah, I mean... So, what do you think about Die Hard 2? Uh, do you think it's better than Die Hard 1? No. Um, I guess we'll get into a rating. Yeah. Because um, I, I
1: have some thoughts, but I'll, I'll give the rating. So, out of 10...
0: Reginald VelJohnson Johnson, Twinkies. What do you give Die Hard 2? Um, I would give Die Hard 2 a 5.5 uh, out of 10.
1: Wow, okay, Okay. so that's a little lower than I thought you would. Oh, really? Yeah, you were actually praising this film quite a bit throughout the film. I mean, the review.
0: I mean, I did praise it, but at the same time, I think that... Yeah, you weren't really negative. Like, it,
1: you, I think... Almost in, like, the, some of the negative thing, things you've brought up, I think you were pretty soft on. So I'm kind of surprised you're going that low. Because well, it's, it's usually me bringing down the band hammer on things. Well, so. I'll say
0: that I think that the idea itself is kind of interesting. And I think that, um, like, the I like the airport setting. I like that it, this film has more Christmas in it. Because this is much more of a Christmas film than than Die Hard 1. They almost make it a point to, like... Get decorations. And I'm kind of surprised the they
1: didn't bring back Run DMC's. You know, Christmas and Hollis. Yeah. You know. Like. Yeah.
0: I mean, they because they make it a point to get Christmas stuff in here. The, the, the whole, whole lobby, the, the whole
1: first first twenty minutes in the airport's like literally, like literally. Yeah.
0: It's it's all Christmas. You're, Even like when they go into town, they make sure they they have decorations everywhere. It's, so to make it and the fact
1: Christmas that they, I think and I think you're right. The fact they said it in DC is like so we can have snow.
0: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And like you know like and oh, so and, and so not only is there there will,
1: twenty years the- later there won't be any debate about this being a Christmas film like Die Hard. This is a Christmas film. It is a Christmas
0: you film. Know. I think people just are hesitant to just watch it in general.
1: Well, because they're probably like you, And they just didn't see it. They saw Die Hard, and then Die Hard
0: Three. <laughs> yeah, and then they because, skipped over this because you
1: weren't watching UPN at five in the morning.
0: That's right. <laughs> But I, I would say that even though you know it has an interesting story and it has um, more Christmas and it doubles down on violence and stuff like that, I would say that for the most part, this film is just really slow. It's it's a much slower film Plodding. and yeah, it's plotting. Um, it's almost like firefight, lots of exposition, dialogue, firefight, lots of exposition and and like set pieces. And the,
1: and the firefights aren't even that good because they're very g- generic. Just like oh, you know. Bad guys ripping off fucking rounds like they're you know going out of style. Yeah,
0: I, yeah, I would say that the firefights aren't very good because they they just aren't really that realistic because it's like people just shooting willy nilly. Yeah, those those
1: MP5Ks have thirty round mags. You're not you know sitting there just. I'm mean, trust me, if you just sat there and held the trigger like, boom, that's yeah. it. You're not Done. sitting there for two you know two minutes. Not only that, I mean I know you know John carries an M9, so that's why he's able to kind of you know because it's got like 16, 18 rounds in it you know, playing video games, I know that kind of stuff. <laughs> you know. But it's just, like, funny, because he's like, just spraying and praying, too. Like, like yeah. he's, like, John, you're a trained police officer. Use some marksmanship. Like, there's only, like, one instance in this film where he uses marksmanship, where he shoots Esperanza, but he shoots, you know, he doesn't shoot to kill, he shoots him in the shoulder to yeah. wound him, because he wants him taken in. Where it's, like, he clearly could have just shot him in the fucking head there, and, like, hey, credits, you know.
0: It's over. When, yeah. like,
1: the colonel and. Amos show up, be like, "All right, he's dead. Let's go. You know, we're done, and move on." But
0: yeah, I mean, I just think that that some of that stuff is just not as is not as uh, effective as the original, and it's so much, like they're trying to double down on it, but um, they're the whole thing is just more unrealistic because of that. Whereas, I mean, I would say Die Hard isn't very realistic either, but at least it has good action pieces to it. And I would say that this one has a lot less um, effective action pieces and just a lot of plotting scenes where it just kind of goes on and meanders for no reason. I think generic would be a
1: really good... uh, Yeah,
0: I mean, it's just basically... A a, buy-the-numbers action sequel. It's a really uh, copy-paste from Die Hard, except for the storyline, which, like I said, I think is pretty good. And if they had gone more with that and, you know, maybe lessened John McClane's influence on this film uh, it could have been a more successful film Um, I'm going to be nicer than you for once I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10 guys
1: I actually thought you'd be along a 6 or a 7 the way you kind (laughs) of uh, talked about but I'll give it a 6 out of 10 and the reason is I agree with you I think the premise is a interesting and good idea it's got a lot of high stakes to it I think the idea of putting it in an airport is, is really creative and I think it gives them a lot more to kind of do with the scenario than compared to, say, Die Hard 1 where it's just at a, bus- a giant business building. I think with an airport, you get the control tower involvement. You get the runway, the tarmac, and all that. So I think it's interesting. I think the idea itself is interesting because as we were talking about when we were watching the film... The 90s had a hard-on for films that involved airplanes and disgrunt... In their action films, airplanes and disgruntled military vets that, you know, had a bone to pick, and that's why they became terrorists. And this is, like, what, like kind of a forefather in that, because you have airplanes, you know, and, um... Disgruntled military operatives. Operatives and... The airport. I was drawing a blank on the word airport. Jesus Christ, that's the state of my life, but... So I think, I agree with you. I think the concept's pretty cool and really neat. I think the problem, though, is John McClane, at least for me, outside of Die Hard 1, is not a likable hero. He's not a likable character. He's a piece of shit. Because I don't find his witty one-liners and banter and what he does in the films to be endearing. Yeah, he's right when he's assessing things and... And following his gut, like that, you know, like, oh, he's the cop that has the gut instinct and follows it. But at the same time, he's not likable because he's a prick to everybody. Instead of trying to like, hey, like, I'm going to need people to help me, especially after fucking Die Hard 1, you think, like, I'm going to need backup. I'm going to need people supporting me in what we're trying to do here. You know, you think like, hey, maybe a softer touch, you know, you're going <laughs> to yeah. attract more flies with Honey John, that, you know than yeah. you know, being salty about it. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't, I think, as you said, I think Bruce Willis is one of the big flaws in this film, because he's such an unlikable, miserable prick in this, that he, I, and I think it carries on throughout the rest of the franchise, him, especially now with Bruce Willis, how he portrays things now, he's just literally a miserable piece of shit in every film he does now, I'm just like, because right, that's just that's his stereotype. I will say, though, <coughs> excuse me, casting, I think the cast... Pretty damn good cast. Um, I think, uh, you know, Bill Sadler's really good. Um, John Amos, I think he's good, too, in a delight. Um, Franco Nero, it's great to see him get, you know, work outside of an Italian film. You know. Still looking dapper as you know, always. Oh, he looks amazing in this, you know. he The way he looks at now would be like something like you would expect, like, you know, people now like would be like, that's how I gotta look. Hair and beard, perfectly trimmed and quaffed. Yeah. Um. I think he's good. Reginald L. Johnson in his cameo that gets top billing. Um. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would have loved to see him more, because I do, even though I didn't like the interaction in Die Hard 1 between him and John, because I thought it was too forced and overly stereotypical noiry and in how they had their conversations, which is the same case in this film. They handled it the same way. I still think it would have been nice to see him more. Um. I think Fred Thompson's good in this too, as, you know, uh, Trudeau the control operator he he's you know a pretty solid actor in my opinion. I may not agree with him politically but you know solid actor. Um and I think Dennis Franz steals the show in this one. He's great as you know the in you know buffoonish cop. Though I agree with you I think he is made to look like an asshole even though he's you know kind he is pretty much right for the most part. But I think I think he's great
0: and it just shows you know what he'll eventually do later on with like NYPD um, yeah, much a, a much better role for N- yeah, NYPD. Even it's, more, it's
1: more grounded and you know yeah. more character driven, you know, um, I think the, and then I agree with you too. I think the action is pretty bland and boring outside of a couple of things like the airplane crash, um, the ejection from the airplane. I think most of it's pretty you know pretty bland and boring. It's very dull gunfighting. There's no stakes involved. It's just like they amped up the gore and violence in this. Like they had, they had to have John Amos get you know shoved through a airplane turbine. To like like, oh, you know, we're out doing you know the gore in this one. Ah, you know, yeah, icicle
0: um, eye stabbing stuff like yeah, that. Yeah,
1: which is ridiculous. It was ridiculous, but um, so I, I mean, I I think it's got good aspects to it, and I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to take what worked in the first film and amplify it, and they did. But I think it's a detriment, because at this point, it's almost coming to self-perioding, which I don't think they were going for. I think they were literally trying like, let's take the first film and amp it up. And I think it's a mixed bag. Honestly, I've seen this film a thousand times, but I haven't seen it in, like, seven years. Because I used to watch, like I said, it used to be on TV all the time, so I used to always catch it. Um, and I remember always thinking, like, it's a good film. I don't know why it doesn't get as much praise as the first film. After watching it now... It's obvious why it doesn't get as much praise, because it's, it it's succeeds in certain parts, but it fails in others and makes it l- much more less memorable than the first film. Yeah, I agree. Like, the yippee Kaye motherfucker at the end of this film was, like, literally there. That's like, really
0: forced. It was like, uh, I said yeah. it in the first one, so. Yeah. And, like, and
1: like again, like, a lot of, like, the dialogue Bruce Willis has with himself, like, it's like, oh, you're just trying to do him crawling through the, you know, air vent in Nakatomi Plaza, like, just have a few laughs, have a couple of drinks, you know. So, when he's like, we're like, what am I doing, John? This is ridiculous. Just why can't we have a normal Christmas? It's like, you know, it's like, okay, you're drawing from the first film. We got it. Yeah. And I think the biggest detriment to this film, too, is its runtime. It should be a 90 minute film. This film has no reason to be two hours. It spends way too much time wasted in the air with John's wife and. Thornburg. They waste way too much time on John Amos' military crew where they could have just had him show up and then find out, like, their turncoats. You didn't have to draw that out. They didn't have to draw the opening out in the film, too, of him trying to tell everyone what's going on. They could have really... And it seems like at first they're really gonna get right into, like, the terrorists attacking the airport. But they don't. It seems like they're going to, but they draw that fucker out forever. Like, they yeah. for, like, 20 30 minutes where it's like you could have really just been like he's at the airport he's looking for his wife goes on the phone and all of a sudden a terrorist attack breaks out.
0: Yeah, I mean it seems like they were just trying to match the first one which is at like 2 hours and 12 minutes so they wanted to extend the runtime a bit and it's just unnecessary. At that point like this is one of those films, an action film you can really get in and get out. You don't really need to be languishing in the idea. All right. So I think that's going to end our uh, Festivus series for this month, except we do have a – I think we're going to do a special episode next week to close out 2017 with New Year's Evil, which I think is a fun film. It's not necessarily a good film, but it will be a fun one to talk about. It's one of those holiday slashers like My Bloody Valentine. Sorry. Sorry. April Fool's Day. They came around and it was like, what are some of the holidays that we haven't done yet? Oh, New Year's Eve? All right, let's do that one. And it was like, and then they were like, wait a second, New Year's Eve? New Year's Eve? Oh, all right, there. there's the story right there. It's it's really cheesy. It's uh, based on like rock I, bands. You
1: know, now, 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 now I think about it, does that put Tenebrae on a higher level? Because they kind of picked like an offbeat, like if you're not like a Catholic. For, like, picking, like, a to be based around kind of a offbeat Catholic holiday. Yeah. Because I'm trying to think about it. Like, like, like how could you, like, make, like, films about certain holidays? I'm trying to think of, like, obscure holidays off the top of my head. Like, Flag Day! Yeah,
0: like, Boxing Day. <laughs> Stuff like that. <laughs> Memorial Day. Well, that makes more sense. Yeah. Than, you know, like, in memoriam. You're... I mean, uh, Creepshow did Father's Day. So,
1: but again, that makes more you just like have like a killer mother, killer father, but
0: yeah, I mean i I but well, you'll see New Year's Evil is fun, it's ridiculous, it's like it you know it's basically like let's take what happens in Times Square where they have all the like you know dick Clark's New Year's Eve with the you know that bands got, and stuff like that,
1: They got sad for a couple of years.
0: yeah. And it's it's basically like that except not with Dick Clark and with 80s 80s rock bands hair hair bands. Is it an 80s movie? Yeah. It's awesome.
1: <laughs> okay, now no I'm now gonna, you're intrigued.
0: Now I am intrigued, you know. It's going to be fun. White snake? Uh yeah, I mean it's 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 like that. It's 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 fun. It's a fun fun movie. <laughs> so that'll be our our special before My question is why would anybody want to go to F- Times Square for New Year's? Sounds terrible. No thank you. I I don't want to. No, just I pee in some diapers. I have no interest in going Times Square. I'll I'll be honest with you. I take like four shits a day. I mean, just thinking about how I'm going to Times Square, I, I, I'm gonna, by at the time. I'm probably going to have to have taken three shits.
1: I don't like taking. <laughs> I was saying I don't like taking shits at work. Like I do it now. I do it now because like like I've become accustomed to it. like on the clock. Eleven o'clock at work, I gotta take a shit.
0: Right, but so, at it, this it, point, like you can't leave your spot. No, so I know' just so shit in your pants or like piss or whatever like
1: I'm not gonna be yeah. like, oh no
0: you know yep it sounds terrible, I know and, I want to go I, I need to eat want, like five times yeah. a day, and I wouldn't want to go to Times Square period, like
1: even on like when it's like just a normal day I like it. I have no interest it's fun to go no there's I have no point like I have no interest
0: someday in it. we'll take a, a trip. take
1: me to the South Bronx, take that's
0: a bus trip. Oh, bus, not, bus even the,
1: not even the train. You're going to be like, bus trips. I've got
0: magical memories of bus trips with applesauces trucks <laughs> being peeled off and shit. So. Yeah,
1: but that was down to the South Bronx. Yeah. Let's go see the eight. Fun stuff.
0: All right, so we're going to do New Year's Evil next week. God, I can't wait for baseball season. It'll be so fun. Uh, thank you for listening. Which we, episode are we on, by the way? Uh, this is 96, I believe. That's it? it? I thought we were, were like, ninety seven. I thought we were gonna be up
1: to hundred by the time we were done with this.
0: Well, like we we took the break last well, week. Well, I so. know, but I'm just saying. I think we're actually I think it's ninety seven. Uh if I'm not mistaken. We're good curators, you know. I always forget it's it's gets so hard to just keep track of it. Well, you're a good yeah, ninety seven. We're on ninety we're on ninety seven. Uh, so the 100's coming up. Yep, hundreds coming up. Big special. That's right. Fun one. We're gonna have a blast. I can't wait for it. It's been a while since I've seen that movie. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Uh, We hope you tune in next week uh, for our finale for 2017, which will be New Year's Evil. Uh, You can catch us on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud or any other podcasting app. Um, Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We are on Twitter as well at Blood and Black Rum. We have a website, bloodandblackrumpodcast.wordpress.com. We're on Cult Exploitation Podcast Network. and If you're interested, you can join our podcast network if you are a movie podcasting uh, podcast or site that would like to join up. Uh, we also have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. That's where you can write to us. You can uh, tell us anything about past episodes and we'll read it on the show. Or if you have any suggestions for new movies, we will definitely take those into consideration as well. And then finally, we have a Patreon page where you can help uh, fund our podcast because this does come out of our own pocket. So to keep the lights on, you can donate to us uh, for as much as, uh, little, as little as $1. Can we in... get tombow debt? Yeah, I wish. We'll leave the lights on. You. <laughs> uh, you can donate to us. Uh, you can, uh, that, that comes out every month. So whatever you donate uh, is going to come out every month. But uh, we really appreciate it and it helps us fund the podcast. So if you like listening to us, make sure you check us out at patreon.com slash blood and donate what you can. So thank you for listening. Uh, this concludes our festivist series. We hope you have a happy and merry Christmas. And we will be back after Christmas next Thursday with New Year's Evil. So stay tuned.
1: Take care.